Um, a uh, professor at Yale uh, named William Lyon Phelps, he made this claim. He said, in the whole story of Jesus Christ, the most important event is the resurrection. And so what we're dealing with today can often stay in the world of the debatable. It can stay in that world, uh, but my hope is that we move beyond or move into a, another realm to see uh, that this story, the story of the resurrection, is not just something that is always to be debated and always to saying, prove it, prove it, prove it, but that we can really experience it, that we can experience the power of the resurrection. Now, I hope that we do understand, we do mine the depths and the, the proofs and the truths that are all behind the resurrection so that we can walk firmly in the reality that, yeah, he did raise from the dead. There's plenty of evidence. In fact, it's more likely to say he didn't raise from the dead. Uh, it's more likely to, um, we have to disprove that. But we walk in this reality that, no, he did rise from the dead, but what does it mean? Why? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead? Most of you believe and, and capture that this miracle did happen, but you don't walk in the power. Most of you here are like, okay, I get that. I've read the books. I, I feel like I understand. I'm, I'm there. But, I, but you don't walk in any sort of power, any life-changing power that the resurrection brings. As Paul states in Philippians 3, he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, that I may know him, and this, look what he says, and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul, he knew something, something greater than a textbook apologetic a proof of the resurrection or seeing as believing. He knew something deeper. He knew a power that surpasses everything that this world has to offer. And I pray that we would know that power today, that we would capture that. I mean, I've preached on the resurrection enough, right? Enough times as uh, we've had a lot of Easter's and we've had a lot of seasons where we've preached in various places uh, the, the resurrection to know, and I've, I've recommended enough books to know that it's not just, it can't just stay in the realm of truth and proof and evidences. That's not what's going to awaken the longings that our soul has, the, the affections that we need. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us. We need the Holy Spirit to send shockwaves through our lives uh, to experience the power of a resurrected king. And so I want to stop before we get into this and just ask the Spirit be present and, and be made known in our lives right now. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are here, and we simply come before you. And now we, we ask, Lord, would you send that power? Would you remind us of that power that the resurrection brings into our lives. God, I pray that today that you would awaken some of us who are very far from you to come back to you. I pray that you would awaken some that are not uh, anywhere near you to bring them to yourself today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we find ourselves 
uh, at week eight in this sermon series called Remembering Our Redemption. We spent the last seven weeks unpacking these really pivotal, really important stories from the Old Testament until here, until this point, until this, uh, the climax in many ways of Jesus' life, the resurrection. And the goal of the series is really to anchor you into a place where your faith sees the whole picture, the whole story of the Bible, to see the big picture, that the redemption narrative has been unfolding since the creation of the world, and it just, and it continues on into our own lives. And it puts us really in awe of God and who He is, and to see like, okay, God has been working a story since the beginning of time, and my little story, my small sliver of this life and this story belongs to Him, and He's working it so I can I can go to bed really sound and and sleep really well tonight, knowing that Jesus is orchestrating a beautiful story, and he has been since the beginning, and he's taking care of his people since the beginning. And so that's the goal of this, that we can rest. And so let's turn our attention now to the most important event in history, the most miraculous event in history, or to go even deeper, the, the most life-changing event for us in history, that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to look at this passage at three different angles. Like we're looking at a diamond. I want to see three facets. First, to see the women who came seeking the dead among the dead. They thought Jesus was dead. And the second reality is that They were actually seeking the living amongst the dead, but they didn't understand. And then the third is what? What what does it all mean? What does it mean to seek our new life in our own death? What does this all mean? Why? Why did Jesus rise? So first, let's look at seeking the dead among the dead. What we have here are, are two or three women who are walking to Jesus' tomb after a horrible and detestable crucifixion. They are not in celebration mode right now. We need to get into that reality. There is no celebrating, there is no shouts of joys, no hallelujahs, uh, what Jesus has done. There is pure defeat in their minds, in their hearts. There is a weight and a heaviness to where they are right now. But Because they, they were there. They saw Jesus carry his own cross. They heard Jesus speak to them from the cross. They heard the words and the shouts of Jesus when he said, it is finished. They felt all that. They experienced all of that. And now Jesus is dead. Several months ago, I did a funeral for uh, a woman who was fighting to get off the streets, who, uh, out of prostitution, she was healing from drugs, and she relapsed so badly and overdosed that the drugs ended up killing her. And so when I walk into that funeral home, I heard sobbing and weeping and wailing at the pain of what has happened. This tragedy was awful. It's not fun. It's not good. It's not happiness. It's not hope. When this happens, the pain of her family, the pain of her friends, fighting their own battles and finding, fighting their, their own issues, and the pain that we, even in the churches, some of our staff went to this, felt was real. It was real. And so the scene in Luke that we're stepping into 
It's the, it's the same. It's the scene of weeping. It's walking into that funeral home of, of weeping and wailing and, and struggle. We're in this funeral home of pain. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, their, their eyes were puffy from, from crying all night long, from wailing all night. They're dehydrated. They're undone as they march to the tomb, as they really drag themselves to the tomb, not sure What's next? Not sure how this story is going to end, but they know they got to make final preparations for Jesus' body. This is where we are. And not only this, are they defeated, the fact that, that Jesus just had died and that they feel like this is, they don't know what to do. The, the, the movement is gone. And they're thinking in the back of their heads and, and they're remembering all these stories like, this was God, right? I mean, we watched Jesus turn water into wine. We saw this happen. We saw Jesus cast out demons. They saw the lame walk because of Jesus. They saw just a few bits of fish and bread multiply and feed thousands of people. They saw a raging storm cease at the sound of the voice of Jesus. They finally, in their souls, felt the forgiveness of their sins They finally experienced the power, the empowerment they've been longing for simply at the presence of Jesus, and now he's gone. He's gone, cut down, dead. So not only are they sitting dealing with their own loss of a friend, of a brother, of a son, at the horrific nature of the cross, but they're also dealing with an entire movement they thought was about to burst through, now done. Too many questions now, a lot of confusion, doubt. The apostles clearly aren't a place where they're asking, what's next? What, what just happened? What is this done? Look, often, often when I look around the church today, I, I, think, I think we're a lot like this, these women right now, where we, we, we don't get it, we're, we're defeated, we're undone, we're lost in confusion. I often look around even in my own soul and I see this reality that I see myself even standing at Jesus' grave, seeking the dead among the dead, wondering, is Christianity for real? I'm walking around feeling defeated, like the world is just crushing me all around, and and I'm defeated, and, and death is there, and I'm walking into a funeral home, or I'm living in a funeral home, where I'm living in a funeral home of despair. I just don't get it. Just like the women here don't get it. We don't get it. As the church, we are still stuck in this reality that maybe I'm in a funeral home. I'm walking to seek the dead among the dead. Our celebrations that we have, they're just temporary. They're small. They never satisfied what our soul really needs. One great writer on the resurrection, a modern-day writer, N.T. Wright, he observes regarding the women approaching the tomb. He says, if Luke had been making the story up a generation or more after the event, as some people suggest, 
not only would he not have had women going first to the tomb, women were not regarded as a credible witness in the ancient world, as this story itself bears out, he would have had the apostles believing the story at once, ready to be models of faith and to lead the young church into God's future, but not so. It seemed to them a silly fantasy, exactly the sort of thing they would have thought that you would expect from a few women crazy with grief and lack of sleep. You can see the reality of their grief, of the women's grief, of the, the apostles' grief and their disbelief and their doubt. But we must and need to see here the reality of surprise. That as they're standing in the funeral home, of despair, and of pain, there is a shock wave that is about to drop on them. We can't understand the shock wave of the resurrection until we understand the despair, until we grasp that reality. The women sought to meet a dead man. That was what they were going to do. The, The apostles believed Jesus was dead and nothing more. That's where it ended for them. The thought of Jesus rising from the dead, it wasn't there. Or as verse 11 says, that it was just an idle tale, made up. The the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus is about to change everything for them. It is about to change everything about them who they are, their mission into this world, their vision for their life. It is about to change everything. These heavenly men, these angelic beings, come and they say to to these women, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Now we could just stop here. Band, come on up. Let's celebrate. Right? We could just, let's go, to, let's go to town. Let's make this party happen. Right? Let's sing. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. He's not here. He's risen. Period. But the angels had something more to say here. Don't, don't forget this. We could stop and celebrate. Jesus is alive. But we, 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 if we're going to get the, the power of the resurrection, we need to hear fully what is happening. Because Jesus could have just been sitting there in the tomb like, hey, waiting for you guys to show up. Let's get this party started. I'm alive, right? But he, there was a word that had to happen. There was some story that needed to be told. There was a message that these women and the apostles needed to get. Listen, here's where it is, verse 6. Remember. Man, so much. That's why we call this Remembering Our Redemption, this, this series. Because so many times, in so many ways, in so many places, over and over, God, over, and over again, God is saying, remember Remember that I took you out of the mire, of the the mud, of the, the death, and I brought you in. Remember that I made you alive. Remember that I adorned you with fine jewels, as Ezekiel 16 points out. Remember, remember, remember over and over again, because why? We forget. We just forget what God has done. If you're not a Christian, you say, I don't even know any of this stuff in the first place. It's because you... You need, you need to remember what God has done for you, all the grace that he's given you, even in your life now. But listen, remember, they say, how he told you. While you were still in Galilee, 
that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified on the third day, and on the third day rise. Notice that word, must. The followers of Jesus here needed to capture a truth. They needed to capture a reality before they simply saw Jesus alive. They needed to understand that Jesus needed to die, must die, and must rise again. You see, we all have so many good stories of great people dying for a cause. We can think of a lot of stories of people who have died for a great cause, martyrs of certain causes and certain issues that have inspired us and encouraged us uh, over our life. One of, one, of, one of them for me is a man named John Huss. He was uh, born in the 1400s. That was a long time ago, right? But he became a priest, a Catholic priest in the church, and started to uh, explore the Bible for himself. And he started to realize that there was a major error in the church of his, of his time. The error was that the Pope was the head of the church. And he started to say, hey, the Bible clearly says that Jesus is the head of this church. And they're starting, he's starting to question that. He's starting to say, guys, I think you're getting some things wrong here. And so uh, he wrote this paper, right, explaining this, this theological treatise, right, which I love, right, because as I'm a theological nerd, so it's like write a paper about it. And he writes a paper, sends it off, and they say, all right, we're here. We hear what you say. We promise to give you safe travels. And at this point, he had already moved out to the countryside because he knew he was getting all these threats and and it was bad because he was stirring everything up. He was messing with the church. And so he got this promise from, from the, council, the Council of Constance. He said, they said, come, defend your paper. We'll make sure you get there safely. We'll make, take care of everything for you. And so this is 1414, November 1414. And so he gets on his horse and buggy, I suppose, and goes. And as uh, um, soon as he arrives, he gets arrested. And he gets thrown into jail without any trial, without any hearing, without any word. He can't defend his work. He can't defend what he wrote. He can't look at the Bible. And so we're looking at this and we're saying, man, this is, not, this is totally not fair. And so they, they gave him a choice. They said, you can either recant what you said or be killed, be burned alive. And so one of the inspiring things about John Huss is he said, no, I'm not going to recant I'm not going to recant. So he was burned alive, and the people around him all record him singing loudly and, and with a smile on his face, the Psalms, rejoicing as he's burned to death. Now, John Huss, that story has inspired me for years, for years of my life. His death was an example of sacrifice and service to God. And as I hear that story, I'm like, man, I want to be like that. You know, I don't want that to happen to me, but I, I, want, I want to I have faith like that. I want to have courage like that. I want to have strength that he had. I want that. I want that in, in my life. And so when the angels came to the women, appeared to the women, and they said, Jesus must be killed and rise, why did he say that. Why did these angels say that? Why did these people say that to these women? Jesus had to die 
because example was not good enough. There's plenty of them. There was plenty of good examples. John the Baptist, for instance. There's plenty of good examples. The women needed to see, and the reason they said this to them was that Jesus is calling them and telling them that he did not die to be an example. He didn't die so that they could follow him in his sacrifice, in his death. He's not just saying to them, I did this so that you would follow me like this, in this way. No, he, they need to really grasp this reality that he's saying, follow me because I have died for you. I must die for you. Do you see the difference here? This isn't a call of an example. Come die like me. No, he's saying, I must die for you. It's the same, <coughs> it's the same thing that Peter had to learn in his life with Jesus. Right? When Jesus got all his disciples around the table and he says, one of you is going to betray me. Peter's like, Psh, not me. <laughs> right? And so he pulls Jesus aside. Hey, Jesus, you know, it's not going to be me. I would never deny you. He says, I would, this is what Peter, Peter literally says this, I will die for you. I mean, you can imagine Jesus going, you are going to die for me. And he tells him, he says, you, it's not gonna, you're going to deny me. You actually are going to be the one to deny me. And what, what Jesus is trying to communicate to Peter in there is not for you, Peter, to die for me. I came here so that I could die for you. I must die for you. And this is the lesson the women needed to capture. This is the lesson, once again, the apostles needed to capture. What the angels are trying to communicate to them is that Jesus must die for them. He had to die for them. And the women didn't just need an inspirational, angelic speech. They needed a power. They needed a life change. They needed transformation. They needed release from the religion that says, sacrifice yourself for God. Sacrifice for God. They needed a savior and a substitute that says, I have sacrificed for you. I have overcome for you. And so this is what the message is for these women, for the apostles, and for us. That's what's for us. Jesus must die and rise again because our sacrifice is not good enough. It's not going to happen. It's not going to make it. Over and over again, Jesus tried to drive this into our hearts. In Luke 18, Jesus says, Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and be shamefully, shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. But they understood none of these things. Deer in the headlights. They don't get it. Like, all right, I know that you're here to fulfill everything, Jesus. Right? We, we talked about this in the series. I know you're here to fulfill everything, but we don't get this. The saying was hidden from them. They didn't grasp what was being said. They didn't get it like so many of us today. We, and it's not because we're stupid. It's not because we just are dumb. But by nature, nature, we want 
we feel like we need to sacrifice for God when the whole time Jesus is saying, no, I came to sacrifice. I came as a sacrifice for you. And my resurrection, that is the sign that I am the only one who can overcome. I'm the only one who can do this. You can't just example me. So, the women, the good news, good news lands on them. It's like an explosion of joy, right? Says they, they remembered his words. Oh, yeah, Jesus did say these things. And, and they returned to the tomb, and they told all these things to the 11, returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to all the rest. Everybody else was all gathered together, and they're freaking out. He's alive. Guys, he's alive. And they're like, crazy. Crazy's here, right? What's going on? And so, of course, Peter, he's the one who's like, no. He books it. He runs. Because, you know, Peter's the one, he's in that room, and he's probably the loudest one wailing and weeping, knowing that not only did he betray Christ, but he, he's completely lost. He's thrown his whole life into this. He just doesn't know what to do with himself. And so when he hears this, he's gone. He takes off. I, I imagine just him tears streaming from his face, sprinting as fast as he can, blistered feet. He doesn't care. He's running. And the rest are standing around thinking, this is an idle tale. Literally, that means this is nonsense. What are you women doing? Are you trying to, you're giving us false hope. What's going on? But it's unbelievable. As Peter, we see here now, Peter steps into the tomb and he holds the, the linen cloths. He holds them in his hands and he's marveling. He's marveling in disbelief. He cannot believe it. These are the same cloths that we wrap Jesus' body in. And here they are. I'm holding them. And it's an explosion of joy. Just it's just blowing up in their lives. All of the paradigms are, are, are being shifted. All of the, the lenses and the barriers and the veils all falling all around them. And this is where I want us to stand today. This is what I want us to capture. Joy exploding. They're seeing and they're believing and they're rejoicing, and they're celebrating because the good news has changed everything. It's changed everything in their lives. So, for us, for us, imagine yourself. If you want to close your eyes, you can. Just imagine yourself holding the linen cloth in your hand, being there. Listen to this verse from Romans 8. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life, give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells, dwells in you. Now, I know some of you all might not be at a place where you're ready for, for, to receive this power yet to even go there. There's a lot of obstacles for you. There's a lot of mountains of doubt, and I don't know if he even, this is, seems kind of fishy, right? I don't know if Jesus could, this, a dead man rising, this is a miracle. I need to see it. Some of you might be like Thomas. I need to touch the scars in his hands and on his side. I can't believe this. Listen, if we miss the implications 
If we miss the implications, then we've missed the entire point of him raising from the dead. There are some massive, life-changing implications for us today. There's more to this than just evidences and proofs to sure up the confidence that he did, in fact, rise from the dead. There is a power, new life in Christ. So there's three realities that I want to get at, and I'm going to be a little theological for you. All right, I'm going to throw out some, maybe some big words, some new words for some of you, but they're beautiful words, right? They are incredible they're, they're amazing. I, I was going to say more. I'll, they're just so good. Let me just go into them. The fact that the, Jesus rose from the dead means that we are first regenerated. Second, we are justified. And third, we ourselves will be resurrected. So first, the power of the resurrection means our regeneration. Now, regeneration is the concept that God renovates our hearts, right? Comes in, tears out the old, brings in the new. Completely changed lives. The very core, the very core of who we are is, is, is taken out. The deadness, the, the empty actions, all is now given purpose, is empowered to respond to the good news of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected. And so we experience this power of regeneration because of the resurrection. We get to experience this because Jesus rose from the dead, overcoming the death. He broke the death. He smashed up the death so that death could be taken out of us and we could have new life. Whereas 1 Peter 1.3 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, that term born again, it's not just for the religious rite or, or whatever. It's not something, it's nebulous. I know some of you are like, that's old school, born again. That's old school. But that's exactly what this is. We are born again. We have been regenerated. We have been changed. We have been transformed. So do you remember Ephesians chapter 2 that says that when we read that God has made us alive, that's implying that we were dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. But God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raises us up, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Good news. That is such good news that we are now made alive. That's what regeneration is. And it's, it's, it happened because of the cross, because of the resurrection. So regeneration is the transformation, is the transition from spiritual death to spiritual life. And that's what one implication. And not only does the resurrection mean our regeneration, but it also means our justification. Another big word, important word, Romans 4.25 says that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what does that mean? See, what, what happened when Christ was raised from the dead was that God the Father was declaring to the world his approval of Christ's work. He's saying, okay, now he raised from the dead. Everything that just happened is true. It's all behind him. It's, it's all true because 
He's risen from the dead. There's no defeat in him. He has completely won. He has completely overcome. He's won everything. And so he was approving and lifting up the fact that Jesus did, in fact, die for our sins. So the justice to sin was done at the cross. That's Romans 3.23. A lot of times we'll speak about the resurrection in this way. We'll talk about the resurrection as a seal, right? When Jesus rose from the dead, it's like him saying, sealing the deal, right? Jesus died. It is finished. He has paid the price for our sins. I'm sealing the deal for you. It's the stamp of approval. It's the signature of God that this will and this has been done. And that means when he looks on you now, when he looks upon you, he declares not guilty, justified, Being regenerated means being justified. Being changed means we are now made right before God. But lastly, I want to look that the power of the resurrection means our resurrection. Now, for some of you, that is totally weird, right? You're you're imagining, uh, right, Herschel in The Walking Dead, right? He's He's looking around at all the dead people, and he's like, this is not how I imagined this to go, (laughs) right? It's not how it's supposed to go, by the way. It's not that kind of image of the dead walking. It's a far cry from that. Imagine our world. Imagine our life, but without sin, but without spot or without stain, or as 1 Corinthians 15, 20 says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead as the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep, of those who have died. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection from the dead. He's saying, because Jesus went before us, he rose from the dead that one day this is going to be our future. It's a promise that we as Christians will one day enjoy fullness of life. We will enjoy the fullness of the presence of Jesus Christ. I wish I could spend more time on that. The power of Jesus' resurrection means for us regeneration, justification, and our future resurrection. Now, I realize there's a lot. There's a big theological statement, and there's a lot more to be unpacked and explored in that even, but I'll conclude with this. We'll, We'll get right here to the center, to the point. The resurrection of Jesus Christ has enormous implications and relevance in our lives. It's it is power, and because it's not only true and not only powerful, let me just say it this way. There's really only two things that you can do with a a resurrected king. You can either reject it or rejoice in it. Reject it or rejoice in it. I don't want us to leave here ignoring it. I don't want us to leave here not dealing with it. If you've got doubts, explore, seek, read books. There's some huge books that I can give you that you won't even know half the words in, right? We can give you those. There's so much to explore. But we can't ignore. The resurrection power means your freedom. It means the whole story of redemption is wrapped wrapped up here as truly good news. It means new life. It means new hope. It means new vision for our lives. The way to experience the power is only through 
the empty tomb. So some of you, like Peter, you just need to step inside and you need to hold the cloth, the linen cloth, and just marvel. Just marvel. Just to understand. Think. But the only way we can understand that Jesus is not dead is to find him. Go find him. Seek and you will find. Go find him. He is not dead. He is risen. He's not here in the tomb. He is risen. Go find him. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there are many here, and I know even in my own heart, there's a great deal of doubt. But if this is true, if this reality, if Jesus rose from the dead, it changes everything. It makes all the difference. It is, it is the key that unlocks a new life, a new reality for us. And I pray, God, that we can grasp that, the weight of it, the power of it, the beauty of it. Help us today to grasp as we participate in communion, as we hug one another and look one another in the eye and pray for one another, as we celebrate in generosity. May we grasp fully the beauty and the power of the resurrection, of a resurrected king who is now on his throne, reigning and ruling. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen.